Today on the Misha All Access Podcast, we're doing a championship preview, but this one is a little bit different. We have our largest championship event. It is not a championship. It's a festival. But the Missouri State High School Activities Association's largest statewide event is our state music festival at the end of April. And our administrator in charge of the state music festival is Assistant Executive Director Devaney Davis. Devaney, welcome today. Hi, thank you. We're going to be talking about state music. And state music is complex. (laughs) It has many layers. And so we have an event in late April at the University of Missouri in Columbia for all of our solo and small ensemble entries in the state music festival. All of our large group entries are at our district festivals, which we'll talk a little bit more about those. So I'm hoping you've got some numbers for us later on. Just just help us to understand the scope of number of participants from our member schools and also member schools. But let's get started. Start at the beginning and work backwards a little bit. When is the State Music Festival this year at, at the University of Missouri? April 27th through the 29th. April 27th through the 29th. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. How many schools are we talking that attend the State Music Festival? Uh, On average, we usually run around 400 qualifying schools, sometimes more, sometimes less. And how many of our member schools are registered in the activity of music? For the festivals, we run about 535 of our schools are registered for postseason. Okay, that's a huge chunk. Mm -hmm. Almost all of our high schools would be registered for music. And when we are talking music, we're talking specifically vocal music, instrumental music in the form of band and orchestra. Mm-hmm. And we have a little bit of a nuanced area that is not generally taught in, in our schools, and that's piano. Mm-hmm. So how does a student participate in the State Music Festival? If you're in band, the band is entering the festival as a large group. They're a member of that ensemble, but then within that, they can choose to perform a solo and small ensembles in whatever event type that they would work with their school director and some of them you know study privately and then tell the school director what they want to do but they enter through the school music director so in most situations students are enrolled in these courses we call music a co-curricular activity they're enrolled in the courses their their choir classes their band classes their orchestra classes they're going to be preparing for the large group ensemble performances in class Technically, yes. For ensembles, they just have to be a bona fide student at their school. They don't necessarily have to be enrolled in the class to be in the band or the choir because scheduling issues, they can't always do that. So the bylaws a little bit, most of the time we try to keep them black and white, but this one's gray for a reason, and it's to allow for those kids that, if they're in advanced placement classes that's scheduled against band or choir or orchestra, that they can still have the opportunity if the school wants to work with them on that. So that's how they can do the ensembles. For solo, they have to be a member of a school music performing organization. So not necessarily enrolled in the class, although that's very helpful, but because of those scheduling issues, the school can work with the the student and get them in there. But generally, large group is the school's performance ensemble for larger groups. Mm -hmm. And then you have, as you said, the solos and small ensembles which in general, in most schools, the preparation for those performances are going to happen outside of the school day because Mm -hmm. the curricular area for these courses is large group instruction. So they're trying to teach the pieces and they're getting ready for festivals. So how does a student get to Columbia? How's that going to happen? 
Well, they would be in their qualifying group. So if they're entering a solo or solos or small ensembles, then they would go to their assigned district festival on that day and perform. And depending on what the result is, their rating, they would have to have an exemplary rating to qualify for the state solo small ensemble festival. How's a rating happen? When we're talking sports, there's a score, mm -hmm. but this is different. There's yeah. no score. How does, a, how does a student receive a rating at a district festival? We have what is our established standard of ratings, and we have a five-level system or a tier for districts. So it's exemplary, outstanding, satisfactory, developing, and ineffective one through five, but we use the words and not the numbers. For each level, there is a parameter of what we think should be covered in that performance. And so it's up to our trained adjudicators to evaluate those performances and decide where they fit within that system. So let's say a, a wind ensemble, the school's wind ensemble comes in, and how many adjudicators would be determining what the, what the rating is for that group? For our large group, we have three performance judges that hear their actual prepared pieces, and then they have to also complete sight reading, a sight reading component, and that's one judge. So for all large group performances, there are four judges that will rate the choir, the band, or the orchestra, mm -hmm. okay? And in the solo and small ensembles, it's just one. One per room. Per room. Okay. Mm -hmm. So these district festivals tend to happen in our member schools, maybe a, maybe a college or university somewhere. The school brings their entries on a bus and they show up. How's, how's that day work? <laughs> it's a lot like the state day, just on a smaller level, but they uh, pretty much invade the school for solo and small ensemble because they're usually there most of the day. They have a large number of events from the school they're going to be scheduled out throughout the day large groups kind of an in and out you, if you just got the one band or one choir you come in and perform and then you can leave solo small ensemble they're there for a while depending on the number of events they have and how they get spaced out so they'll show up and hopefully in time to scout out where they need to be find their rooms so they can get there quickly go in have their music in hand and make sure they have their accompanist and all their members of their ensembles and wait for their performance time and go in and perform. Okay. In an athletic event, we do classifications mm -hmm. and all of our districts and beyond are by classification. So schools of similar enrollment. Mm -hmm. Do we classify in music? We do. And it has two purposes, depending on which festival we're talking about. So we have five classes in music. Our largest schools are in class five and then our smallest in class one. But the classification breaks are there for solo small ensemble to determine how many events a school can enter by class. So for a class five school, they can enter 55 wind events, 55 string events, 55 vocal events, and then piano and within that percussion have a limited number of percussion ensembles. So it's 55, 45, 35, and then 25 for class one and two. They okay. are combined together. Okay. The classification system for large group is based on sight reading. It's the level of sight reading and the difficulty of the music. It's there for timing. Our larger schools get a few more minutes to get in and out just because they're usually larger groups and it takes them a while to, to move through the rooms, but it's the standard. Okay. There's, there's, there's more opportunities for our larger schools because a lot of the kids sometimes study privately. So there's some advantages there that our outstate smaller schools don't always have. So 
it's a consideration in the judging, but it's not a you know, it's not a requirement because they're still performing against the standard of the rating system. Correct. So, how many district festivals do we have? We have twenty districts, but I added them up this year, and we have a hundred one hundred and thirty eight different festival days going on in the month of March in the first two weeks of April. Okay, so. Right now we're in March. This will probably air in April, but we had that many days of district festival going on. At any given district festival, are they all large schools? Are they all class three schools? Are they all class one schools? Now there's a variety of schools there because in music, we don't set the districts by class like we do in sports. It is an area. And so there's only a couple of areas in the state where I would say you would see mostly large schools in a district. That's in Jackson County, Lee Summit District. That's all the Jackson County Class 5 schools. So they're all going to be large. But most of the other districts have a combination of 1 through 5 or 2 through 5. And some of them don't even have a Class 5. They may be 1 through 4. So it just kind of depends on the area of the state. So our performances you may be mixing, you may not, with schools of other sizes. Each district festival probably has a little bit different flair based on the facilities they have access to, the time they have access to, the number of schools, number of entries, all of those things. So they're going to be a little bit different. But when a student or, or the school shows up to the district festival, the goal is to get, now with the large groups, that is your performance. That's, that's the opportunity mm-hmm. for a MISHA adjudicator to rate your choir, band, or orchestra's performance, and then you're done. Yeah. And you've got the performance component on the pieces you have prepared for that day, and then you have the sight reading component. So for those who are, are not music alums, what is sight reading? Sight reading is an opportunity to evaluate the interaction between the director and the ensemble. So they're taking a piece that they've never seen before, and for the instrumental side, they have six minutes of instructional prep to look at the piece. Director kind of hits the highs and lows, and they all approach it differently because it really should be a reflection of how they introduce new pieces into their classroom. And that's why there's really not a template on how this is done because everybody teaches and approaches how we introduce music differently to our groups. So they are sitting there going through their instructional period. When that's over, they are to play the work and they get to play it one time on the instrumental side. Now the vocal side gets two times. They get to perform twice. They have a four minute instructional period that they can divide the time between the two performances. And they'll approach it all differently, too. Some of them, the directors turn the kids over to sectionals and let the section leaders work through the piece with them and point out how they do things. In sight reading, the overlying thing they can't do is make any sound while they're studying the work. So they couldn't produce any audible sound on their instruments, and they can't sing or hum their parts on the vocal side. They can count, they can count out loud. Those are changes that have happened within the last 10 or 15 years. Before that, you couldn't talk hardly at all. All it was was just pointing out where you thought the problem spots were. And that's really not, to me, what sight reading is about. And so when they get done, their instructional period on the vocal side, the first time they go through and they read it, and they can do it on solfege or a counting system, or there's, there's words, they can use the text. And then they get a little regroup and 
the director may have some things to watch out for, and then they do it again. And then they're done when they, they leave. How do you ensure they've never seen that piece before? <laughs> we try to keep that music. It's, it's rotated in a perfect world. We have music that rotates every four years. There's a four-year cycle for each year, and that's to ensure that the student doesn't see it again before they go through the four years of high school. The director may see it twice because after two four-year cycles, the piece is to come off the list and we replace it. But they're all on published works. We commission those to be written. And we house them here in the office. Mm -hmm. We do. So I baited you on this sight reading stuff because I'm a, a vocal music kid and a very proud alto and you know the altos are the best sight readers yes they um, are. i'm also baiting all of the all the other parts out there but the <laughs> i actually loved the sight reading part of my own district and state music festival because that was my wheelhouse and mm -hmm. i had a great choral director you know you talked about that adjudicator is getting an opportunity to see the interaction between the instructor and the ensemble and sight reading was something we always did very well because we were used to our choral director mm -hmm. had a certain way of teaching us a piece and we we generally did well so i know there's debate in the state about whether we keep sight reading or not and you know I, I can see both sides of it but mm -hmm. but personally it was a it was a pride moment for for our school mm -hmm. uh, because we generally did well with that so okay so they go through district music festival large group stuff all done you get an exemplary rating at district music you then get the invitation to go to the state music festival april 27th through 29th is it a three-day event for me? If I, if I get an exemplary, do I have to be there all three days? How does that work? No, the schools are broken into groups. So we have a group A, B, and C, and we rotate those groups through the three days, partly because we hit Saturday, and it's usually the last Saturday in April, which is prom season for most of our schools. And in the past, until about five or six years ago, nobody rotated. The, if you were a Saturday school, you were always on Saturday. You always had to fight those conflicts, and there was no relief from that. And it became an issue because we were getting so big that we couldn't get enough rooms at the university to house our festival. So we would start out on Thursday with the schools fairly close to Columbia, and we had about 15, 16 rooms. And then Friday we expanded to over to Kansas City and up the north part of the state over to St. Louis, that was Friday, and we'd go up to about 28 rooms, 29. Saturday became the rest of the state. So St. Louis, down southeast across the Springfield and back up to Kansas City, and we would go up to 40 rooms. And because there's no classes at the university on Saturday, we had pretty much open campus for us to get into these buildings. But the other two days, they're still in session, and so rooms were very limited to us. And so we went through an RFP process, request for proposal, and in doing that, we went through and reevaluated how we looked at state solo and small ensemble to try and address the concern over the years from the schools on Saturday about always being on Saturday and to create a rotation. And so we went through the previous five years' worth of entries and just took the highest year they had at state, and then we just divided them. And evened them out. So we had three fairly equal days. And it really worked out the first time. It was very even. And that's where we are now. And so that allowed us to have the rotation. So if you come on Thursday this year, next year you will come on Friday. 
and then the following year on Saturday, and then you rotate back around. So everybody gets to experience the prom problems and the, the wonderful opportunities there. That has reduced our footprint down on the university to where we're, we are at the most at 30 to 32 rooms now all three days. It evened out our judging panel, so it's the same set of judges all three days hearing all these kids. And it made us smoother, a little, I won't say relaxed, but it was more relaxing than what it was when we hit Friday and Saturday. You mentioned the RFP process, and we're going to have a podcast on how we choose our venues, our championship venues. But music is no different. We have an RFP for that process as well. It is competitive. The University of Missouri has had state music for quite some time. That does not mean there aren't other venues that would like state music. And the board of directors has made changes in venues before. And so the University of Missouri has kept it. I think they, you know, they, they have indicated to us that the next time we ask, they're going to try again. Mm-hmm. But it's not a, a foregone conclusion that every year music will be at the University of Missouri, but because we do put it out in a bid process to try to be fair to other communities in our state. Why would a community want to competitively bid for the state music festival? Oh my goodness. The amount of traffic that comes through Columbia those three days for the state festival is amazing. It's an economic boost, I would think, for the community, the businesses, the hotels, all of that. The the mall, a lot of the kids, you'll hear them, well, when we get done, we're going to go to the mall or we're going to go to Shakespeare's Pizza. They all have their little place. It's a tradition for them because they come every year. They have these places they want to go every time. So it's a memory maker for them, but it's an economic boost to the communities too, I think. What's our total number of students that come to the State Music Festival? Well... Pre-COVID, we were running eight to 10,000 students over the three days. From a total of 400-ish Four, schools. A little over 400, sometimes 420. That was the highest. Which represent, uh, let's say, 350 communities. Mm-hmm. So on the whole, there is no other Misha State experience, not basketball championships, not wrestling championships. Wrestling's number two. But our number one total number of participants is the State Music Festival. And if every one of those kids brings at least one parent, and many of them bring two parents and a brother and a sister and a grandparent and a neighbor, and mm-hmm. and they all come to Columbia and they all have to get gas and they all have to eat, and many of them stay in a hotel because their, their travel is far enough that yeah. uh, they don't want to do it in one day, maybe just one night, perhaps even two nights of hotel. The economic impact, as you mentioned, for any of our championships to a community is big music is the biggest. Mm -hmm. And that's probably, people are surprised by that. First of all, they're surprised to realize that we run the State Music Festival because they didn't know that we, that the Missouri State High School Activities Association Mm -hmm. handles music. But they're also surprised to hear that it's not basketball. It's not football. No, it's not. When we talk about hosting, always our individual sports and activities are those that bring more people because you represent multiple communities. So It really is an impressive event. And as you mentioned, we've changed our footprint a little bit at the University of Missouri. We set up trailers there on Lowry Mall. Mm -hmm. And a big chunk of what we do is in both the North and South Memorial Union. Mm -hmm. We get to use, and I think you, if you haven't mentioned it, you likely will, we get to use the University of Missouri's new music school, Mm -hmm. which is really a a fantastic facility. And you want to talk a little bit about what we house in in the music school. That building is pretty much dedicated to percussion now. Before the building was finished, last year was our first year in it, 
the percussion events were held in the north side of the union on the lower floor and then on the chapel right across from that we had three performance centers for percussion and the university of missouri and the columbia public schools provide excellent percussion equipment for use for our schools that can't bring it or just don't want to travel you know from one corner of the state with all of that but there are still schools who will still bring their own percussion equipment and it was just a congested bottleneck when you try to get in there and the doors weren't set up for percussion equipment to come in and out of those steps and and move them but the design of the new music building there was a lot of thought put into that and they have the doors that should accommodate that and they have a dock area where we can haul all this in and reduce damage to school equipment but those rooms are large the doors are large the halls are large they can get in there get out it is just a it's a beautiful facility if you haven't seen it yet and you're ever there you need to take an opportunity and see the building itself but we have four rooms in that building and three of them are dedicated to percussion and, and there's one upstairs that we can use for woodwinds or vocal or wherever I need to fill another room. You mentioned equipment. We provide percussion equipment. What else do we provide in a performance room at State? Every room has a piano because we don't know whether there's an accompanied event in there or not. The vocal rooms are always going to have a piano in them. We have stands, music stands for our instrumentalists and chairs for them to sit in. Is this a spectator event? Mm-hmm. Yep. They can come, anybody can come watch if you can find a place to park and get there. I mean, it's kind of a, a little ant farm when you look at it, but yes, they're open for performances. Okay. And to hear you describe it, it is tightly scheduled. Every single performance room is having back-to-back performances with a one-hour break at lunch and a short break in the morning and the afternoon from eight o'clock in the morning to five o'clock in the afternoon, three straight days. We are just performance after performance and they're timed Mm -hmm. from the beginning to the end seven or nine minutes depending on the kind of performance they have outside of percussion they're bringing their own instrument if they're instrumental Mm -hmm. they need to go into that room and set it up what they need to set up if the previous performer was a soloist and the next group is a quartet (laughs) then some things have to change yeah there's the stands and chairs are over in the corner, and the, and the kids are really good about moving their stuff around. The directors will do it, too, but they, they work really well. Sometimes the piano has to be turned because one group wanted it one way, and the other one wants it facing the other way. So there's, there's shuffling that goes on, and that's part of that seven-minute performance. And when you are finished, how do you find out what your rating was? And, and wait, we need to talk about the state rating system because you talked about the the district rating system, the five-level system, but the state system is different. Yes, the state system is a three-tier system, and it's gold, silver, and bronze. And I really don't think I have to define what gold, silver, and bronze is. And that was purposely done as a way to improve communication with the music directors and their community or their administrators because a lot of administrators just don't understand the rating system for the festivals. But if you come back from school and you go, how how'd the kids do today? Well, we got five golds and three silvers. Oh, well, then we did really well. You don't have to explain what an exemplary is versus an outstanding versus a satisfactory. So for the public, and when they press releases and things like that that they want to share, you don't have to explain it. It's just, here's the success we've had. So it's gold, silver, and bronze. Any penalties at state will result in a disqualification of the event because it is a state-level event. And those will range, the most common ones and the ones I hate to see happen are the measures weren't numbered. Every measure wasn't numbered in the music they presented to the judge, to 
we didn't perform long enough. Piano solos have to perform a minimum of three minutes, and if they don't, there's a penalty there. So it, they use photocopied music, which is a federal law. It's not a Michigan rule. It's a U.S. copyright law. And so if they use photocopied music without permission, that's a, that's a disqualification. So when they're done performing, the adjudicator is evaluating the event on their adjudication form. And about every 15, 20 minutes, we have a runner that goes around to the rooms, and they pick up the rating sheets and any music that was left behind. And they bring it to our headquarter room. We have a tab room where we collate these rating sheets to enter into our system to publish out the results. And once they're published, you can see them on our website, but the rating sheet will have a certificate attached to it. If it was an ensemble, let's say it was a trio, there'll be three certificates. So if they got a gold, there's three gold certificates that go with the rating sheet. And we take those over and every school has a file folder in a, t in a school tub and we put the results for that school in that folder and the directors can pick them up throughout the day or when they're ready to leave. And that, that's how they get their results. We input the ratings in. We have a hand backup book in case, for whatever reason, with technology, we lose the internet for a little bit. We can still continue and get those rating sheets over there so the kids can see their comments. So 20 to 30, 20 to 40 minutes after you, are, you have completed your performance, you can check the Michel website and find out what your rating was. The timing's right on the runner going through, yeah. yeah. And how busy we get because right before lunch, all the rooms will finish at the same time. And so we get flooded then with 30 rooms of rating sheets. That takes a little bit of time to process and get through. 30 minutes, sometimes you can find out, you know, 15 minutes, depending on how far away your room was from the tab room, but it can be up to an hour sometimes. Sometimes the, the judge sets that off to the side to think on something, and they're just not quite ready to put that final rating in, and we have to go sometimes chase those down a little bit, but within an hour, they should know their results. How does a judge know how to judge? Well, for our district solo small ensemble and state large group, we have certified judges. Most of them are current music educators or retired, and some of them are at the collegiate level, but they all have a degree in, in music education or in music performance. We only hire certified judges for our district and state large group. For our state solo and small ensemble, we hire out-of-state judges. Now, they haven't necessarily gone through our training because they're coming from all of our contiguous states, but they're all music educators. And so we go over with them the night before. We send them out a booklet that kind of, this is what the day's going to look like. Here's our expectations, our criteria. Here's our rating system. And then we meet with them Wednesday night when they arrive in town. And we go through all of this and answer any questions they might have. Now, a lot of them have been here before. We do have new ones come in, but we try to keep that balance of judges we've had before that understand what we do and then we bring in new ones all the time. The state music manager and I work that meeting together the night before we start up on Thursday. And do those judges work all three days? Mm -hmm. So they're eight to five all three days. Mm -hmm. They come in from out of state, they stay in Columbia through that whole time, and they're trained by you and the state manager. How many judges will we have? We will have up to 30. I, it's hard to say right now because we're just starting, but we kind of go off our average number with COVID, we're still kind of bouncing back from that. Last year, we were down, 
we had to let three or four of them go because the entries just they just weren't there wasn't enough so i'm hoping we're getting more in and get back to normal but we usually run about 30 judges so do we sell tickets to the state music festival no no it's free you it's walk, free you can walk in a, districts a are free too. districts are free mm-hmm. so how do we pay for this because those judges are not staying in free hotels they are paid for these three days mm-hmm. so how do we pay for the state music festival well Entry fees go to offset the costs and expense associated with our festivals because we have our adjudicator fees, we have our piano rentals and tuning and meals and lodging and all of that stuff, but we do not take a gate. It's the biggest event we have and we do not take a gate for it. To me, the bottom line is not about the money, it's about the experience we are providing for these kids in schools, but it is not a money revenue producer for the association and our member schools. We lose money every year. We lose money every year. So when we do have uh, revenue-generating events, let's go back to basketball and football. We, mm-hmm. we, we can make money. Mm-hmm. We don't always make money with basketball and football, but we can make money. We have some other events that can make money. So when we make money on an event, oftentimes that revenue is turned right back around to cover costs for uh, events where we don't make money. Mm-hmm and state music festival being one of those and we have as you said we have entry fees we also have some fines that are assessed with late entries and those kinds of things you know if you follow collegiate athletics you know that there are one or two kind of cash cow sports Mm -hmm. at at any college or universities and those sports are paying for all the other sports because they don't make any money same thing with us Mm -hmm. Uh, we have a few sports who are paying for all of the other sports and here as you pointed out largest event we have and we don't take a gate we could sell tickets it would be a nightmare logistically but we could sell tickets and sell a lot of tickets Mm -hmm. to the state music festival and we don't do that so just kind of for our membership and our and and the public to just to understand those things it's a great event it's a great experience for students who identify as music students and you're a school person i'm a school person You know that there are students who identify as many different things, but when when you are in the band or the orchestra or the choir, oftentimes that is your main identity in your high school. Mm -hmm. This is the the deal, getting ready for the State Music Festival. In some schools, you may have some other competitive music opportunities, marching band, show choir, those kinds of things, but, but there's one equalizing event in our state, and that is our music festivals, our district and our state music festival. I just had a conversation with you this afternoon as I was I was thinking about my own state music festival experience. What did I sing? What were you know mm-hmm. with solo and small group and well, which 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 piece was it? But I I remember those days and I remember coming to Mizzou. I remember what part of Memorial Union I performed in and all those things. And that's that's happening over and over for thousands of students every year, mm-hmm. and it is a three ring circus to juggle. <laughs> Devney starts the day after in both the wrap-up of the festival and also planning for next year and so thank you for everything you've done with music we've we've already talked with you talked about your retirement this is your last one this is your your 19th and final music festival uh, that you prepared for anything you want to add that we might have missed no i just hope that we have three days of sunshine because the rain really puts a damper on it for the kids because they're you know they're all dressed up in their tuxes and gowns and they have to go between buildings and so when it's raining i just feel bad for them because they spend all that time you know to look wonderful to to put on that 
event, that show, that for the performance, and then you come in and you're, you know, you're you're a wet rabbit. So, yeah, it, it's similar to our outdoor events. Yeah. We it changes know, our, the yeah. environment of the festival, yeah. but it, it's still a happy one. But it's just miserable when it starts raining yeah so i'm hoping okay. we have three days of sunshine this we're, year <laughs> we're gonna hope for that so i want to thank devney davis for talking with us today about the misha state music festival again april 27th 28th and 29th on the university of missouri campus in columbia up to maybe 10,000 kids coming in over those three days to perform their vocal or instrumental pieces in solo and small ensemble they've already potentially done that at the district festivals it is our biggest event for misha This is Dr. Jennifer Ruckstad, the Executive Director of the Missouri State High School Activities Association. Thank you for listening to the Misha All Access podcast and having an interest in Missouri high school activities and athletics. If you enjoyed today's episode of the Misha All Access podcast or any of the episodes in this podcast, please consider subscribing or liking with your favorite podcast provider. It helps other people find us and we really appreciate you listening and supporting the Missouri State High School Activities Association.